Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. You know, Advent is a season, Christmas is a day. And if what we do, we hustle and bustle through the season to get to a day, the day's over before it begins. That's not what the church has done historically for thousands of years. They've paused, they've created a season to hush, to still our hearts, to slow down and to say, as we reflect on God's faithfulness, what does Jesus really mean to us? Because that Christ child is no longer a Christ child. The first time he came, he came in a lowly manger. The next time he comes, the skies can't contain him. First time he came, he came very lowly, very quietly through the womb of a virgin. The next time he comes, he'll come with a trumpet shout and the dead in Christ shall rise first. This Advent season, I wanna challenge you to take time to pause and reflect. We are between two Advents. We've seen his first Advent, yet we are waiting his second Advent. We're in that unique prophetic season, disposition of time as the church of Jesus Christ, where we know that the light has come, yet the light and his reality is not fully realized in the expression of what we live each and every day. So what do we do in the meantime? We, just like in waiting for the first advent, we wait with expectation. This week, did a week go by without you thinking about the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ? At least once, maybe twice, three times. Awaiting his return. Behold, the psalmist said, the judge stands at the door and knocks. Anybody ready to see Jesus? I'm ready to see Jesus. People say, well, no, not right now. Well, 2020 would be an amazing year. You want to talk about a redemption story? What if the church got raptured before 2021 came around? You're talking, about a, you're talking about a redemption story, right? And what we as the body of Christ are called to do is to wait in eager expectation because Jesus stands at the door, amen? It's good news this morning. If you came in today and you didn't receive a message card, you can raise your hand. One of our leaders there or ushers in the back would love to serve you. And uh, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Didn't Gigi do an amazing job leading us this morning? Would you let her know how much you appreciate her serving? Thank you, Gabby. Thank you, Sophie. Sophie is now married. Didn't she sing better now that she's married? She had that, she had that glow and aura around her, and I pray it wasn't pregnancy. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Luke chapter 15. This is beginning in verse 11. This is God's word. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
When he came to his senses or to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death in the pigsty. I will set out. I will go back to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But if you'll just take me back, I'll be like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate notice this meanwhile the older son was in the field when he came near the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked him hey hey, what's going on verse 27 the younger brother has come home he replied and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound and the older brother becomes angry and refused to enter in the party so his father went out and pleaded with him but he answered father look all these years i've been serving i've been slaving for you i never disobeyed your orders i crossed every t i dotted every i yet you never gave me even a young goat so i could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours has squandered your property With prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Watch this video. To Amanda, my beautiful daughter. ready to give us a second chance and he read that same story that I used to read you when you were younger a story about a son who gets angry with his father runs away loses everything that he once loved but then eventually the boy realizes what he's lost and he decides to go home He's ashamed of what he's done. And when he arrives home, the father is there. The father is waiting for him. But before the boy can even get to the house, the father runs to him and embraces him, and he welcomes him back home. The child gets a second chance. The way it's written, it seems like Like even if the son never came home, the father would still have been waiting. That's how much he loved his child. 
I've been thinking a lot about this story lately. I don't know everything that's been going on these last few years. I know that you've been let down by others. I know that working three jobs was exhausting. I know that being a single mother was a huge responsibility. You may have felt like you were doing the best thing for Will when you left. Or maybe you didn't. I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot more that I don't know. A lot of pain and hurt and pressure that you're feeling. I don't claim to understand it all. But I do know that I miss my daughter. And so does your little one. And so does your mother. I'd like to think that 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 story from the Bible, that's us. Me and you. On the day you come home, I'll be there. I'll run out to you and I'll hug you and I'll throw the biggest party that you've ever seen. I would be endlessly happy for you to be home. But I'm afraid it might not happen that way. The cancer is spreading my lungs and each day has become more and more difficult to endure. Part of why I'm writing this letter is just to say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I might be gone before you return. But I still hope you do with or without me. It may not be easy. You may feel like you don't belong anymore. We don't always get the chance to fix all the things that get broken in life. There's a whole world of I'm sorry's that may never get spoken. We may not get to say all the goodbyes. And if I don't get to see your smile again, if I don't get another chance to tell you you're beautiful, if I don't get to be there for Christmas dinner or to wrap the presents with the kids, if I'm not there, then I just want you to know one thing. The story is still true. You'll always be welcome home. Some people will give you a second chance. Some might not. But I know Reverend Alberts was right. God will always give you a second chance. He will always be there, ready for you, waiting for you. And I'll do the same as long as I can. And if not, then I hope you get this letter. Know that I adore you. With love, Dad. This gathering is brought to you by Kleenex. It's probably the greatest and best-known story Jesus ever told. We know it in the 21st century as the story of the prodigal son. There was a son, the younger son, who decided 
There was a better way. I know better than my dad. He asked his dad if he could get the share of the inheritance early, and his father obliged. He divided the estate. He gave half to this son, and he gave half to the older son. He said, it's yours. Take it. Run with it. Do what you want with it. And the younger son, church, had all these dreams and all of these plans. He had spent years of his life thinking about what he would do if he could just get the cash. If I could get the cash, what would I do with it? What kind of freedom could I really have? If I could just be in charge of my life for once and get out of here, I can live the life. But as it always turns out, our freedom plans are never what they're cracked up to be. Our freedom plans never work the way we want our freedom plans to work. And pretty soon, that younger brother, he hit rock bottom. And the centerpiece of this story comes in verse 20. It says about the son, so he got up and went to his father. I've entitled today's message, Nine Words. So he got up and went to his father. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And the father ran to the son, wrapped his arms around him and began to shower his son with kisses. Church, this is the gospel in one verse. This is our story in one verse. If you're wondering what today is all about, if you're wondering what Christmas is all about, if you're wondering why the church does what the church does every single December, this is what it's all about. Everything this day is about is summarized in this one verse. So he got up and went to his father. That's nine words of change. That's nine words of total life alteration. He got up and went to his father, not knowing what to expect when he would get to his father. He got up and went to his father, not knowing if he would ever even receive a second chance. He got up and went to his father, not knowing how it was gonna go down. He got up and went to his father, not knowing what the consequences would be for his crazy living. He just knew. I totally overestimated how great it was going to be when I was in charge of my life doing it my way, the way I desire. And even the last servant on the payroll has it better at my dad's house. Did you know, church, that God loves you even when you rejected him and broke his heart? That he loves you with an everlasting love even when you've broken his heart? So this young son says, you know what? I'm heading home. So he got up and went to his father. Now think about it for a moment. When he goes to his dad to ask him to divide the estate, for the Jewish culture, that was like translation saying, dad, I wish you would die right now. I don't rightfully get my inheritance until you die. So he wants his dad's money, but he no longer wants his dad. Now, it's hard for me to imagine anything more painful as a dad. I don't know know anything in life that would be more painful. His son is saying to him, my preference, dad, would be for you to just die so I can have your money. But since this isn't happening, since you don't look like you're dying anytime soon, I just want to take your stuff and I want to go away and do what I want. I can't imagine as a father of three anything more painful that I would experience than one of my kids 
to be a teenager one day, a young adult one day, and coming to me and their mother Meredith, looking at us in the eyes and saying, we have no desire for relationship with you. We don't want you in our lives anymore. We don't want our kids to know you. We don't want our kids to be in relationship with you. We don't want to be around you. We don't want to have the family name. We don't want to be connected to you, whatever. We just give us your money and get out of our lives. That's what this son did. But, but that didn't last long because he's now ready to come back home. He's hit rock bottom. And this is our story, church. This is why we are here today. We're not simply here in the month of December to celebrate a baby born in Bethlehem. We are here to celebrate a story today that is full of overwhelming mercy, overwhelming love, overwhelming grace and compassion. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, while his head was just topping the horizon, crowning the horizon, the father saw him. Did you know that God loves you even when you wander in the darkness? Did you know that God loves you even when you are living in wild living? That God loves you no matter where you are in life? Now, a few things about this passage that I think are very interesting. Number one, we know this story as the story of the prodigal son. In fact, this word prodigal has now become the part of the modern day vernacular of our world, right? We use it all the time. Oh, you know the, you know the, you know the Smiths down the street? Their daughter, man, she is the prodigal of that family. You know what I'm talking about? She's the crazy one who left the Southeast and moved off to California. And she went out there to California and, and she got in so-and-so. And after she got with so-and-so, we haven't, you know, they haven't, they have Smiths. They haven't even heard from their daughter in months. It's been months since they've made contact with her. And, and they went out and, and they took their own 401k and they went out and tried to get her into rehab. And they tried once and they tried twice, but she wouldn't stay there. She kept leaving rehab. You know, she, she, she's the, pro, you know, she's the prodigal one in that family. Universally in America, we know that prodigal is a byword for anyone who's gone off the rocker. Prodigal is anyone who's gone off of the reservation. You know, the people that go off and blow up their own lives, destroy anything good and godly and virtuous about them. And this story says this kid knew how to throw the greatest parties there ever was. He threw the greatest parties the city had ever seen. And yet one day what happened? The money ran out. And can I just be upfront and honest with those that are streaming today and those of us that are here? I want to be honest. Unless you are Bill Gates, there's probably going to be a day when the money runs out. And when the money ran out, by the way, the money can't buy you what you dream about anyways. The money ran out. Then there is a wild card in this kid's story. A total wild card. Did you know there's almost always a wild card in our freedom plans? I've been doing this a long time. I've never had anybody take their freedom plan and not face a wild card. And what was the wild card in this story? Something we don't see coming when we were dreaming about how great it would be when we left. Something we never imagined would happen in our life when we were dreaming what it would be like to be free and we could do it on our way. In this kid's case, it was a famine. The famine hit the land. The famine hit all the people. And now he's broke and the land's broke and so he's got to get a job. 
And he gets a job on a pig farm. Now, if you're not familiar with the context here, you'll just read right past that. But there's a lot going on in the context here for Jesus to speak to Jewish people and say, hey, this man, this son goes to work on a pig farm. You got to understand this is the deal breaker in the story. This is where jaws dropped open when Jesus told the story. Because Jesus is talking and Luke 15 tells us that while he's talking, all of these sinners and these wicked men and women and tax collectors literally are pressing in close and pushing up against Jesus. Why? Because they wanted to hear Jesus' words. They wanted to hear. So all of the undesirables of society, all the undesirables of the culture are really, really up close and make up the inner layer around Jesus. But there was an outer layer that day as well. All of the uppity ups, all of the religious know-it-alls, all of the religious do-it-alls, all of the religious I stay faithful in my Bible reading plan alls, all of the religious uppity ups were making up an outer layer that day and they had their arms folded and they had their spectacles down on their nose and they're looking at Jesus who claims to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and they're seeing all of these evil, wicked men pushing up against them. And they are saying, if he knew the people that were pushing up against him, he'd get out of town. If he knew the people that are touching him, he would leave this place. Why? Because you can't claim to be the son of God. You can't be the promised Messiah and be dealing with these kinds of people. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he began to tell a series of stories. And this is where the first misconception of the story happens. Now, in your Bible, you'll see there in front of you, you have headers. Those headers were not put in to the Bible from the outset. It wasn't until many, many centuries later, we put in chapter and verse. Why? So that we're able to know. You want to see the Christmas story? Go to Luke 2. The Bible is one story written continuously from beginning to end. Alpha and Omega, completely one meta-narrative. But later, centuries later, we started putting in headers so that we could easily find what we're trying to look for in the Bible. I want to tell you, when you get to Luke 15, this is the one instance where the header lady or the header council got it wrong. Because the story says the story of the prodigal son. Now, if you've been a part of my foundation phase, you probably know where I'm going with this. It says the story of the prodigal son. And we know that prodigal just means runaway, doesn't it? Or maybe not. Prodigal doesn't mean I left the family and I blew up my life and I tattered the family reputation and I drug my family through the mud. The definition of prodigal you'll see on your card, literally from definition uh, dictionary.com, the, 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 the actual definition literally means to be extravagant and lavish. Another way we could say that is to be recklessly extravagant. Now it's interesting. There is certainly some extravagance in this younger son, isn't there? Some extravagance. Because in the Jewish culture, you don't tell your dad, I want you dead. You don't go to your dad and say, I'd rather have you dead so I can have your money than to be in relationship with you. And for their culture, hear me, for the Jewish culture, as soon as the young boy left the house, it was as as if he was dead in that family. He's turned his back on the family. When I look at that, there's a lot of extravagance in that kind of attitude. And there's a lot of extravagance in the older brother, right? The older brother showed up to work every day at 8 a.m. He punched in, clocked in, clocked out. He was a disciplined boy. Sometimes 
He didn't even show up at eight o'clock. He showed up 10 till eight. Hey guys, hey dad, you see me? I'm punching in, you see me? Hey dad, 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 dad. Hey dad, 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 you see me? Clocking in, clocking out. Where's your other side? Oh, he's not here. Okay, dad, you see me? Clocking in, clocking out. Dad, clocking in, clocking out. Hey dad, clocking in, clocking out. Hey guys, I'm here a little bit earlier this morning. I was faithful to do all my early, early things at 4 a.m. I finished my Bible reading and devotion already. I figured I'd come on into work 15 minutes early. I'll be here at 7.45. Clocking in, clocking out. Clocking in, clocking out. Clocking in, clocking out. Clocking in, clocking He lived his whole life thinking he could earn his dad's good graces. That was his whole existence. I can earn dad's favor. I can earn dad's love. Now, something interesting's happening in this story. This is coming off the lips of Jesus. This brother also had half the cash. When the father divided the estate, he divided it to the younger son and he divided it to the older son. And even though this older son has the cash, he still doesn't know who he is. And he doesn't know what he has. So when the brother, younger brother, comes home at the end of the story, this older brother says, there is no way under God's green earth I'm celebrating a kid who has absolutely trashed our family. His reputation has destroyed our family's reputation. And this older brother's unforgiveness and this older brother's bitterness was extravagant and lavish. But the younger brother and the older brother want the most recklessly extravagant in this story. The most lavish one in this story was not the hard partier or the non-forgiver. The most recklessly extravagant thing in this story is the father's heart of mercy and grace and patience and love and determination and patience to stay up every night and pray and to walk to the porch every morning and look and to be staring at the horizon every single night and to continue to resolve to not give up and to have patience to say, I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna hope and I'm gonna anticipate and the long nights he had prayed and the fasting he had participated in and he waited and waited and waited and waited recklessly, extravagantly, patiently waited and waited to the day when he could throw his arms around a son who had come home to celebrate one who was dead and is now alive. When you really read this story, the header would most accurately read the prodigal father. You tell me, which one was more recklessly extravagant? The sin of the son or the love of the father? Which one was more enduring? The sin of the son or the love of his dad? So Jesus said, while the Pharisees have their arms crossed, I got a few stories for you guys, not for you inner guys who've already blown up your lives. I'm gonna speak over the top of your hair. You inner guys, you've already blown up your lives. You're ready for this. I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to all of those out there who think they don't need the gospel. That's who I'm speaking to. He said, hey, there was a shepherd. And uh, this shepherd had a hundred sheep and one of the sheep strayed away. One of the sheep got lost. You know what the shepherd did, Jesus said? When the one sheep didn't make it back to the pen that night, when he didn't come into the sheep pen that evening, do you know what the shepherd did? He did what every good pastor would do. You know what he did? 
He got around and he looked around with a smile on his face and he said, hey, you know what? <laughs> Woo! We have 99% attendance today at church. Yes! This is a high water moment for our church. This is the moment we've been waiting for. This is it. It's a banner day. Woo! And he started celebrating. This is our, isn't this awesome? Everybody celebrate. Is that what the shepherd did? No, 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 no. And I know that there are people in here and I know that the people that are watching this message today that this is the part of the story you're very well known, very well acquainted with. Because maybe you hadn't been to church in a long time. And you say, Pastor, if I'm honest, I'll tell you my story. When I went through my divorce, it just seemed like the people at the church, man, they just... They just vanished on me. Like they never even contacted me anymore. When I went away to rehab Pastor Craig the third time, man, the text dried up. The checking on me, the reaching out to me, that was over. Man, when we went through that hard patch with our daughter, it wasn't that we didn't want to be at church. It's like we literally couldn't get to church. Man, it almost seemed like no one at the church even knew we weren't there. It's like we didn't even, we didn't even matter. But this shepherd Jesus is talking about, he's not like that. He left the 99 sheep into the sheep pen. He went out into the dark of the night. He went uphill and downhill. He crossed rivers and he crossed creeks. He went into the midst of the thicket where the sheep who had strayed had found himself stuck. He reached down into the thicket. He opened up his loppers and he cut back all of the briars. He grabbed the sheep. He put the single sheep on his shoulders. He went back to the sheep pen singing all the way through the night. He sung when he opened the door that night when he got there he called all of his other sheep friends and all of the other shepherd friends and he says hey guys we gonna party tonight we're starting a bonfire tonight listen this sheep was lost and he's now found I want you to strike up the band I want you to bring all the food you got we're gonna party tonight we're gonna have a celebration tonight because I got all hundred sheep back in my pen tonight you, you guys didn't get it okay there was a woman she had 10 coins. And one, one coin just slipped out of her change purse, fell under the furniture, and she didn't know where it went. So what did she do, Jesus said? What did she do? Well, she said, you know what? I got 90 cents on the dollar. Why do I need a dime? No, 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 no. She turned that house upside down until she found it. And when she found it, she texted every friend in her address books. And she said, thanks, bro. Thank you for praying. Thank you for fasting with me. I appreciate you fasting with me. You have no idea what it meant for you to fast with me until I found this coin. You have no idea how much your words encouraged me. Your text over the last few hours, just, just keeping me, keeping on to go look for the coin and to keep believing for the coin and keep believing I could find the coin. I just want to, and Bob, thank you, Bob. Thank you for coming over and helping pick up the sofa. I'd have never got the so far by myself, Bob, thank you so much. I now have all of my 10 coins. And Jesus, at the end of every story, he just kept adding this little caveat and he would say this. Oh, 
Guys, if you think that's something that a shepherd would celebrate finding a lost sheep, or you think that a woman would celebrate finding a lost coin, you have no idea in heaven how all of heaven and the host of heaven celebrates when a lost son or a lost daughter comes home. He says there is more rejoicing in heaven when a lost sinner repents, when a lost son or daughter comes back home than any other rejoicing in any other story on earth. And then he said, there was a father and there were two sons. You know, it's important for me, I'm speaking for me to remember today that this story is not about someone else. Craig, man, I appreciate so much here in the month of December. I appreciate you sharing this today, the story of the prodigal son, or maybe you call it the prodigal father. Man, our neighbors, our neighbors, we're gonna, we're gonna share this at DP Live tonight. Our, we're gonna put it on their, we're, we're, we're literally gonna paste it to their Facebook wall. Our neighbors need this, man. Our neighbors, they, they, they've got prodigal. You know, my cousin, woo, thank you, Pastor Craig, for sharing this today, because my cousin, boy, she is a prodigal. She has blown up her life. I mean, she has made a mess out of this. Man, man, our good friends at the gym, man, our good friends at the gym, we, you know, we, we're just glad, Pastor Craig, that you shared this because they're going through it, right? I mean, people need this in 2020, Pastor Craig. Thank you so much for sharing it. Here's what is amazing about this story. Are you ready for this? This story is not about someone else. This story is about you and this story is about me. Because the Bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own ways. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon Jesus Christ, who is his son. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the sacrifice for all of the sin and all of the wrong of all of the people of all of time. This story is about us. And today we celebrate a savior and a recklessly extravagant father who is waiting at the end of the road for every child to come home. It's interesting to me in this story, church, that when this kid hits rock bottom, and can I, can I just make it really clear this morning? If you're streaming or watching today, listening today, I wanna make it as clear as I can today. You gotta hit rock bottom sometime. You got to hit rock bottom sometime. There has to be in a day in our story, listen to me, all of us, there has to be a moment in our story where we say, you know what? It's just not working without God. It's just not, it's not working. I'm not able to move forward. Life just isn't complete. And I'm just now figuring it out. I, I don't know, maybe I got some years under my belt or maybe I've matured a little bit, but... It's not working because I was made for a maker. And I was created for a creator. And I have a destiny and I have a purpose, but my destiny and my purpose is tied to a great God in heaven who put his very image in my very being when he created me. 
There has to be that moment where we do what this kid does. And men, listen to me, men. Listen to me, men. It is ever so hard for us to do it. This kid had to swallow his pride in the pigsty. Because signing on, listen, church, for the, uh, the pig farm wasn't a random thing. Jesus didn't say the dude went and joined the circus. He said the dude signed on for a pig farm. You know why? Because Jesus thought in my mind, what can I say that would aggravate those people with their spectacles on the end of their nose the most? What can I say that will mess them up the most? Make them maddest? Cut to their heart the quickest? Oh, oh, that's right. He went to work at a pig farm. That's as non-kosher as it gets. And as he's sitting at the bottom of the pigsty, finally, 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 church, one of my favorite phrases in all of scripture, the Bible says he came to himself. He came to his senses and he says, you know what? I'm going home. So he takes out a sheet of paper, he takes out his pen, and he begins to write a, 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 come, a come home speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but if you'll just take me back, I will be like one of your hired servants. He puts his pen back in his pocket. He takes that note, he, he, he folds it up and puts it in his tattered pocket and he starts back up the same road he had come down. And he goes over a hill and through village and the next city and the next village. And now he's getting closer and closer to his house and he gets to the villages where people now see him and they're there crossing their arms and they're looking at each other in the alleyways and they're saying, man, he is an absolute, is that who we think? That's, that's him, isn't it? Man, he is an absolute mess. He has to destroyed his life man look at that that's that that's the farmer's son that's 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 his son and the whole time you know what the son's doing he's opening up that little note and he's practicing because he knows he's only got one chance he's only got one chance to earn his father's redemption so he's going to practice again father i've sinned against heaven and i've sinned against you and, and 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 i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but if you'll just take me back i'll be like one of your hired servants and he gets over the next hill and he pulls it out of his pocket again and he says father i've sinned against heaven and i've sinned against you and, and i know i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but if you'll just take me back i'll be be like one of your hired servants. He is a mess, but the Bible says when the father saw him, he had been waiting, he had been watching, he had been patiently enduring. He was out on the porch that day, and when he sees the top of his son's head over the horizon, he pulls up his robe, very undignified in the Jewish culture, and he takes off sprinting off the porch. He jolts off of the porch, and he takes off running down the very road that his son walked away from home on and as he runs down the road he grabs his son he picks his boy up off of the ground literally this is not a little boy this is not a 10 year old this is a grown son he picks his feet off the ground and he begins to swing his legs through the air and he says oh yeah and then he pushes the son back and he says, I know it was you. I've been waiting on you. When you came across the top of the hill, I was waiting on you. And he grabs him back up again and swings his legs. Yeah! This is not a holy moment. This is not one little baby born in a stable. This is dad reuniting 
with his son. This is dad looking at one who was dead and is now found, is now alive again. And the son's like, whoa, 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 dad, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, dad, hold on, stop, stop, stop kissing me, dad, stop, 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 stop. Father, I know I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but if you will just take me back, then I will be like one of your hired servants again. And he barely gets out his well thought out speech that he's been rehearsing for days and weeks and maybe months. And the servants at that time show up and they looks at the servants and say, hey, hey servants, are you believing this? Look at what, look, look, look right before your eyes. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get me a, a robe. You give me the robe, put it on the son's back. Hey, give me the ring, the ring of authority. Put it on his finger. Hey, put sandals on his feet. Hey, you, you, you call the caterer. Hey, hey, you strike up the band. Go ahead and get the band together. Hey, you, you feel that you kill the fatted calf because tonight we're gonna have a party. My son who was lost is now found and who was dead now lives again. And the father never even acknowledged the well-rehearsed speech of the son. Why? Because it's not the quality of your words being right that gets you back to God. It's just your heart turning and coming towards home. And when your heart turns, the Father in heaven will leave the porch of heaven and he'll sprint down your sin-filled road and he'll pick you up off your feet and swing your legs in the air until all the servants were partying tonight. And when you turn away from your sinful ways and your sinful living and turn away from doing it your own way, doing it the way you desire, and you start heading back home, not sure if you will ever even get a second chance. If you start heading back home, I remember mine, February 10th, 2002, not sure what would even await you in terms of consequences. When God sees that turning, he knows because he's been waiting for you. He's been watching for you. Long before you ever thought about coming home, he was watching down that road. He was staring down that road and he has had his eye on you and he's had his eye on me every single day of our lives. And if you come home today, if you turn your heart today, you'll find open arms. But if you choose to stay far away, distant, removed, good news, he'll still be standing there waiting on you. So Craig, what do we do with this story? Well, I know some of us, there may be one of us, maybe several of us here today that you're gonna be like that dad in the film. And this is giving you the perfect entryway to write that loved one of yours today. And that's what you're gonna do. You can go back home this afternoon and you're gonna write that loved one of yours today. Say, I was at church today. And a guy, not sure what his name was. There's two Craigs. I can't ever get them. I don't, I don't, I don't. It was one of those Craigs. He was the pastor. And he was up there talking. And he was talking about Luke chapter 15. You know that story where the son 
spends his estate on wild living and then his father waits for him to come back home. And I just wanted you to know that even though there's a lot of water under the bridge in this family, there's a lot of pain in this family. A lot of wrong words have been spoken in this family. And there's things we can't rewind. And there's things we can't undo. And there's a lot of stuff in our family right now that is totally jacked up. But I just want you to know that I adore you. And I love you. And I forgive you. And it may not happen with the snap of a fingers, but I want you to know you can come back home to this family. We will take you back. We love you. Maybe there's others in this room that we gain the second part of this story. I think the second part of this story tells us today that if that's you today and you've been waiting, watching down the road, God might just be encouraging you today to keep watching and to keep praying and to keep believing and to keep enduring and to keep trusting and to keep believing. Why? Because you aren't the only one looking down that road today. There is a God in heaven watching your daughter today. There is a God in heaven watching your spouse today. There is a God in heaven watching your wife today. There is a God in heaven watching your dad today. There is a God in heaven looking down that road today. And he is working in ways you cannot see to try to drain the bank account of false hopes. He's letting them run as much as they want to run to see that any and everything they grab hold of will leave them empty. And he's working in ways you can't imagine. And he's working in ways you can't see. And there will be a day soon where you need to be ready to strike up the band of forgiveness. And you need to be ready to strike up the band and kill the fatted calf of love and mercy because you're going to see that son, that daughter, that wife, that husband, that dad come home again. And I think the third thing this story is telling us today is there is an invitation on the table for every single person in this room today to come home to God today. I'm speaking not just to those that don't know Jesus, but I'm speaking to those of us who even know Jesus and have strayed from His love. There is an invitation on the table to come home today to God. And for some of you right now, maybe you're streaming live today, and for some of you it's as clear as a bell right now. The tension around you right now, even while I speak, is like 99 out of 99. And I can say that because it's real. And you're looking at me right now and you're not there looking to the peripheral, to the left or the right. You are locked into the dude on stage right now and you're saying, how in the world is this dude telling our story? Like, how does he know our story? Like, what he's speaking is like my whole family unit of five right here. And how stunning that today God told you your story so that you would know 
there is an embrace and there is grace waiting for you in the Father's arms. You can come home. And if there's an older brother, there's an older brother here today, and you're like, you know what, I hate this story. And be honest with you, I can't stand this story because everyone gets off scot-free in this story. Oh yeah, go blow up all the family's money. Go blow through it all, party it up, be an idiot. And when you run out of everything, just come home and dad gives you a big fat celebration. Yeah, just go do what you want. Take our family name through the mud. Do what you want to do. And hey, when it comes time for your heart to turn back, when you run out and you hit rock bottom, dad's just going to throw a big party for you with confetti and balloons and kill the fatted calf. Like, are you kidding me right now? There are consequences to our decisions. Life doesn't work that way. See, here's the amazing thing. The elder brother in Luke 15 stayed in the house, but he was far from home. Because normally the ones that need to come home the most are the good, obedient, disciplined sons and daughters. And he didn't know who he was. And if you're the elder brother today, I just want to remind you today that while there are consequences to our sins and while there are things that cannot ever be put back together again, this story that I just read was told over the lips of Jesus, over the lips of our Savior. And He knows what the consequences of our foolish decisions are. Because hear me, elder brother, when He finished these three stories, when He got done telling these three stories, He locked His eyes on a place called Calvary. And He went sinlessly to a place called Calvary. He went innocently to a cross to take on the sins of the world. You talk about consequences. You talk about somebody who knows what the payment for our sin deserves. Jesus, all of our wrong and all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of our iniquity was placed upon him on the cross. On the day that Jesus went like his father, he opened his arms and what did he do? He opened them wide and he said, anyone, 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 even a thief who is four feet away from me right now if you will turn your heart to head towards home there is a place called home waiting for you I know what the consequences of sin are I'm paid for them and I will pay in full the final sacrifice and anyone can find a place called home today why because this is the story of Christmas This is the story of Christmas. You can choose to stay outside of God's love forever or you can come home. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.